with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved. Here is Dr. James Houck. Everybody, good afternoon to one and all, wherever you are in the world at this time. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity, finding one's courage to reclaim that which has always, always been in you. Very excited to be with you here today and every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time. Each and every week, these broadcasts uh, really focus on the integration of spirituality and our mental health, all within the context of our relationships. And these are relationships that we have with ourselves, relationships that we have with others, and certainly our relationship with God or the divine. I'm Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me, or if you want to leave me your comments about today's show, I invite you to visit our website. It's www.com bbsradio.com forward slash reclaiming authenticity. And if uh, you'd like to be part of this show, I invite you to call in. And if you have any, uh, you know, uh, questions or, or things related to today's topic, you want to further discuss, again, I invite you to call in. That number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And I will be taking your calls after the break. Now, uh, just in case you can't stick around for the whole show today, or maybe you want to go back and listen to other shows, you uh, can go back into the archives and listen to them. Just go back on the uh, the website, the, the address I gave you earlier, and just click on, go down, scroll down, and you'll see the archives there listed according to date. And uh, also, good news that these uh, podcasts are now available for download on Audible and iTunes and Amazon Music. And as always, you can find me here at 3 p.m. every Friday afternoon, Eastern Standard Time, on bbsradio.com, Station One. And uh, I also wanted to mention that if you would like to subscribe to these broadcasts, uh, you may do so by visiting the website, and you can click on the subscription link. And as I say each and every week, that um, this isn't necessary, you know, in order to access uh, previous shows and so forth. But your uh, financial support is pre- uh, greatly appreciated. So, again, if that's something that interests you, I invite you to check out the website. And those of you uh, turning in, tuning in, I should say, not turning in. That's uh, way too early for that. Uh, for those of you who are turning, tuning in, there we go. I'll get it right. For the first time, uh, I just wanted to say welcome to the show. Welcome to the broadcast, because as I said, each and every week, these broadcasts are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And I uh, just want to say from the outset <clears throat> that uh, if you've never heard me say before, I just want to share with you that uh, I am a firm believer that all of us come into this world uh, already equipped and graced with everything we need in this life in terms of our, let's say, our giftedness, 
or our skills or our talents and strengths and character traits and the very best parts of ourselves and really who we are. So, however, you know, as we go along in life and maybe due to some unpleasant experiences, we may feel like we need to hide those gifts within us or hide our skills or our talents or our strengths, or we're going to push the very best parts of ourselves way down so that others cannot see it because perhaps in the past those things were exploited. Maybe those things were never quite understood, or maybe you were told um, all your life growing up that you'd never amount to anything. Or, you know, you're just not turning out to be the person I want you to be. Or whatever other voice we heard telling us that there's nothing special to us. But at any rate, um, when we do not realize our giftedness and we, we end up listening to those voices that just tell us that there's nothing special to us, we go through life functioning from a place of woundedness and, you know, emotional woundedness, maybe even physical woundedness, psychological wounding, even spiritual wounding. And certainly that uh, is not too far removed from then living our lives, you know, in victimization and always considering ourselves like we can never really um, own our lives, let alone follow our dreams, follow our hearts. But certainly when we are able to find the very best parts of ourselves and we can reclaim our authentic selves, we can certainly now be in relationships um, with others from a place of healing, wholeness, and certainly embracing our hechetas, our uniqueness. And we allow others uh, the freedom and the permission to be able to do the same. Well, um, you know, certainly there is so much more to us than what we have become so far. And, and this is what reclaiming authenticity is all about. Finding the courage, first of all, to go in and reclaim that which has always been in you. And I'll be talking more about this specifically as we take a direct look at anger today and what's going on with that. Um, So how is your heart today? Uh, In spite of what's going on in the world and just one thing after another, uh, I hope your heart is is doing well and I hope that you are well. And um, if you are struggling today, I, I hope that you'll be able to find the rest and the comfort and the peace that you need. Well, one of the things I have experienced in not only teaching but also counseling others is that given you know these conditions that exist in the world today, many people are struggling to find you know their sense of meaning, purpose, and direction in their life. And as most uh, initial thoughts and feelings and behaviors, there's often in underlying issues that uh, kick up a sense of hopelessness or a sense of fear and angst in people. And this is something that's been, you know, quite interestingly enough, I've been seeing a lot of uh, over the past two weeks. And uh, just a lot of angst and a lot of anger in people and a lot of fear and just, well, what, what can we do? 
And, you know, may, maybe it's, um, you know, COVID fatigue, maybe it's the higher gas prices, maybe it's with the higher grocery prices, or maybe it's the state of the world. Uh, but there seems to be this growing anger, rage, and angst among people lately. And one of the underlying issues, uh, besides just a tremendous um, uh, difficulty in finding healing from uh, just the wounds that we pick up um, is this loss of inspiration. And where there is seemingly a loss of inspiration, there also comes a loss of creativity as well as a loss of courage. So I thought it would be essential that we take a closer look at inspiration as well as at how it's tied together with anger with the hope that you'd rediscover your inspiration through this show. And I think one of the first things we need to um, acknowledge is the fact that really inspiration didn't go anywhere. It's, it's always within you. It just needs to be tapped into. It just needs to be encouraged. It just needs to be looked at, you know, in different ways. And and you 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 have it. You know, it's that's the creative aspect of it. That that's the critical thinking skills, and as well as finding the courage. And this is something that we come into the world with this this inspiration. You know, just like we come into the world with our gifts and graces and skills and talents. And as I said, inspiration is always waiting, you know, for us to tap into it and to manifest something, you know, life-inspiring and life-giving to others. Maybe to be able to see potential when perhaps it's hidden from the sight of others. To be optimistic when those around you are sounding the alarm and able to keep your head when those around you are losing theirs. Well, certainly... When we've become aware of our internal longing to be more authentic in relationships and to reclaim, you know, those uh, aspects of ourselves, to reclaim our authenticity, I guarantee you this will compel us to begin this process of further reclaiming who we are. We will find our voice. We will find our uniqueness. We'll find our thisness. We will embrace this. We will not settle for anything less. And not only will will our relationships be vastly improved, but this also models for others, for them not to um, settle for anything less than themselves. You know, as I said earlier, to give them permission to reclaim who they are and to find their voice, their uniqueness, their thisness. Because um, in his book, The Return of the Prodigal Son, it's Henry Nowen who wrote, uh, people discover that there is a tremendous strength in healthy relationships. Uh, there are people who heal one another's wounds. There are people who forgive one another's offenses. There are people who share their possessions and foster this spirit of community and celebrate the gifts that they have received and live in constant anticipation of the full manifestation of God. So whether it is COVID fatigue or higher gas prices or higher grocery prices or the state of the world, realize that there are far greater things that we can provide each other, and that is authentic relationships, that is celebrating what we have, and to live in a spirit of gratitude of not just where we have come from, but where we are right now, 
and with that assurance and reassurance that the best is yet to come as we uh, discover more and more of the gifts that lie within us. Well, back in the day, you may recall uh, a gentleman by the name of Steve Irwin. Uh, maybe you recognize his, his name uh, from the show The Crocodile Hunter, but that's who he was. Uh, you know, Steve Irwin was known for his ability to pretty much grab crocodiles and snakes and other animals by their tails uh, in order to get a closer look at them or maybe even to capture them for the camera. And it was just fascinating to, to watch him. And his show, uh, which included his family, his wife, and then his, you know, his daughter, then his son, the show was widely popular. And it's unfortunate that he died in 2006 after being pierced in the chest by a short-tailed stingray. And as I said, while it was fun and entertaining, watching him track down and catch various animals, it was also very dangerous. You know, he would just uh, reach into some hole in the ground and pull out something interesting, you know, something interesting but equally dangerous animal. And yet he made it look so easy. And I, uh, you know, have to take into consideration, uh, okay, he may have loved what he was doing, but he was also highly skilled and trained. And I doubt any of us would have the courage to do what he did for so many years. <clears throat> well, I'm sure we've all heard of the expression, I've got a tiger by the tail. And this colorful metaphor brings to mind the image of grabbing this powerful and fierce animal by the tail, only to have a turn on you. And then we got problems. Okay. I mean, tigers can weigh up to a thousand pounds, maybe more. I mean, that's think about this. That that's a thousand pounds of power, speed, agility, and at times a whole lot of attitude. So all in all, it's maybe it's not a good idea to go messing around with tigers. And yet this metaphor of having a tiger by the tail can also mean that we become involved with either someone or something that is powerful and could become troublesome later on. Well, the, the Vietnamese contemplative monk and poet and peace activist Thich Nhat Hanh often referred to humanity's anger as a fierce tiger, you know, this, this force that resides in everyone. In fact, he often cautioned people not to take lightly when managing, you know, their anger, because uh, if you're not watching closely, it's going to turn around and it's going to start managing you. In fact, he even once said that one of the main causes of our suffering is the seed of anger inside of us. And the key to transforming our anger is then to have an awareness in ourselves that we are more than our anger. And we are more than our suffering. And our anger can be very powerful, like that of a tiger. And it can cause great damage to ourselves and cause great damage to others. And furthermore, our anger can certainly eat away at us if, we, if we're not dealing with it. And eventually, it can destroy us. And it's uh, no accident that the physical body is typically the first place where we notice that our anger is now managing us. You know, we have symptoms such as frequent headaches 
or hypertension or heart disease and stomach ulcers, just to name a few. And yet we all possess this strong emotion. It's something that we come into the world with. It's like joy, but we have anger. And this can be very, very destructive. And since all of our emotions are energy, anger is not something that can be destroyed. But rather, you know, our anger can be transformed into more life-giving ways of building healthier relationships. And this is where we strive to find the balance in our lives. Well, Thich Nhat Hanh also said that when we hate another person and we are angry with them, it's because we do not understand their circumstances, you know, the circumstances they come from. Yet by practicing deep looking, we realize that if we grew up like them, you know, in their set of circumstances and in their environment, we would be just like them. And that kind of understanding removes, you know, your anger, and suddenly that person is no longer your enemy. Then, he says, you can love them. But as long as they remain an enemy, love is impossible. There was uh, a time, to share this story with you, there was a time I remember working with a woman whose husband died, and they had been married for a long, long time. I think it was like 35, maybe even 40 years of marriage. And uh, when he passed, you know, indeed, she was truly grief-stricken and clearly struggling with severe depression and very angry at her husband for leaving her as she looked at it. And as we continued to work together week after week, uh, the more of her story of loss and pain and anger started to come out. And there was even one time when we met where she started to get a glimpse, I mean, just a tiny, tiny glimpse of a healthier life, and where she immediately stopped, put her hand up to me, and she just said, wait. I can't do this anymore. I feel like you're taking away my grief. I'm not ready to let go of it. And, you know, now I knew where a statement like that was coming from. And, you know, not that I could ever take away something that another person wasn't ready to let go of. But in that one statement, she was saying, I would rather live in my anger and grief and pain and sorrow then embrace the possibility that she could live a life all the while, being able to hold on to the wonderful memories of her husband. In other words, in her mind, if she let go of her grief, she had nothing else better to take on. And as we explore our painful memories, you know, we often catch a glimpse of what healing and wholeness might look for us. And when this insight occurs, we may be tempted to resist the change. We may be tempted to run away from transformation or even sabotage ourselves by falling back into the old ways in order to avoid, to avoid embracing what thorough healing requires of us. You know, things like just acknowledging a wrongdoing or asking for and receiving forgiveness or letting go of anger and bitterness and resentment 
and taking on responsibility or living in gratitude and, and so forth. Whatever is needed to let go of where we are and to take on something better. Even when, you know, we have an opportunity to forgive and reconcile with another person who has caused us great pain and suffering, and maybe we're the ones who caused them great pain and suffering, whenever we have that opportunity, whenever that's presented, uh, because bitterness has so entangled our soul, it's often impossible to let go of the pain and the anger. In fact, We might even believe that to let go of bitterness, well, this is just simply a sign of weakness, but just the opposite. Negative energy of anger and bitterness and resentment doesn't make us stronger. It only makes us weaker because it steals healthy energy from us. And all in all, sometimes both the victim, survivor, and offenders cannot envision taking hold of something better. It's just too vulnerable of a place for them to go. And yet, meeting people where they live, meeting people where they are, is the first step. Understanding where they have come from. Understanding what has brought them to this moment. And certainly understanding ourselves, what has brought us to this moment. You know, there's uh, there's an old game out there. Maybe you played it this week or not. But um, when folks sit around, they get bored or something. You know, sooner or later, somebody's going to toss out the question. Well, if you uh, had to go back and do it all over again, would you? You know, if somebody would wave a million dollars in your face, would you go back and just start from the very beginning? And um, <clears throat> I mean, it's one of those questions where there's no right or wrong answer, but it's just a matter of hmm. Would I do this? Would I be willing to go through it all again? And when we think about it, you know, this is, um, you know, some people would say, well, I had a great childhood. I had a great adolescence. Sure, I'll go back and do it all over again. And, uh, you know, for, say, the rest of us, we may be like, "Mm, I don't think so. Uh, we barely got out the first time, <laughs> okay? But um, think about it. If uh, we would go back, knowing what we know now, uh, we would probably make completely different decisions. And then who knows where our lives would have ended up? Would we be drawn to the same people? Would we find our spouses? Would we have our same children? Would we go into the same career field? And so on and so on and so on. But think about every decision that you have made, whether it was it worked out or whether it didn't. You know, the positive ones, the negative ones, the lessons that we learned the hard way and so forth. Um, all of that has brought us to this moment in our lives. And we have this wisdom of having gone through some things and hopefully the lessons that we have learned. And uh, although each person walks, you know, his or her own path in this life, embracing forgiveness and healing and grace and, and love occurs as each person is ready. Nobody can do this for somebody else. We might want to encourage somebody, or we might say, you know, you really should forgive, or, um, you know, don't you know that I love you, and so forth. But, you know, when every person is ready, they're able to hear, to hear this. They're able to embrace it, and so forth. 
Now we, you know, everybody is shown their door of healing, more or less, but you know, we're then given the key, and we have to open the door, and then we have to walk through. That's our responsibility. And most of the time, there is a strong connection between this perception of fear of change and perceived powerlessness and a lifetime of struggling with self-loathing and low to or no self-esteem. And through various hurtful experiences, people have internalized society's definition of them. You know, and just like, well, because society says it, then I must be dirty. I must be worthless. I must have no voice. I must be in, you know, I must be dispensable. I must be, I must be no good or backward, or maybe I won't amount to anything or whatever. And although it's difficult to say when people started to internalize such messages, it's often perhaps easier to pinpoint from whom these messages came. Maybe you've heard such things from parents or teachers or friends, or perhaps these messages were even reinforced by society itself. Well, as I said before, anger and hatred towards another causes tremendous, tremendous damage to ourselves and and others. So here's a little exercise I just want to share with you. I mean, guarantee this is one of these life-changing exercises. Take a large piece of wood, like let's say a wooden post that's stuck in the ground, okay? Then take a hammer and start driving one nail after another into the wood. But as you are hammering these nails into the wood, however far you want to do that, think about your thoughts, your words, and behaviors towards somebody you hate or somebody you're angry with or somebody that you have a hard time forgiving, or somebody who's really betrayed you, okay? And continue driving one nail after another in until there are no more nails. And then step back and look at all the nails in the wood. Then after a while, turn the hammer around and with the claw end, pull out each one of those nails one by one, and then just lay them aside. And when you have removed the last nail, examine the damage that was done to the post as a result of all those nails being driven into it by your anger. See the holes. Look at the split pieces of wood, the splinters, or the gouges, and the damaged exterior brought on by the way You know, you drove those nails. I mean, even look at the nails that remain stuck in the wood because they've been driven so deep, too deep, that they can't be pulled out. Now, just imagine the wounds and the scars that we have inflicted on others by our destructive thoughts, words, and actions, or even what wounds and scars have been inflicted on us by others. And that's just what we can see. And what if we were to take this wooden rail, this, this wooden post, and split it in two? Then we would really see the damage our nail-driven anger has done on the inside. And the same is true, you know, with humanity. And you know, we have to really ask ourselves, where do we hold our wounds on the inside so carefully, so discreetly, that nobody 
can see, let alone find them. Well, I'm sure you remember the old saying that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Well, ironically, there's actually uh, a movie called Sticks and Stones. It came out in 1996. And uh, this is something even today, you can go back and you watch it through Roku, either on Amazon Prime or Apple. And um, this movie, Sticks and Stones, is about uh, a Little League baseball star and his two buddies. And um, I won't tell you the whole story. I'll let you watch it. But they, let's say they put their heads together and they decide to do something about the school bully when adults won't. And all in all, you know, the message comes through um, in this movie where true courage consists in doing what is right despite the jeers and the sneers and the ridicule and the shaming, you know, of, of others. And when our anger is left unchecked, whether it's in our thoughts or words or actions, it can really damage another person as well as ourselves. So where does it end? How does it end? When we are filled with anger as a result of injustices and bullying or etc., it can feel like we really have a tiger by the tail. And in a split second, we surge into our sympathetic nervous system, and our adrenaline is pumping. Our pupils are dilated, our muscles are tense, and we're ready for a fight or flight. But afterwards, when we've calmed down, we may be left with the remorse, the regret, and embarrassment as we realize how the nails of our anger and rage have externally and internally ripped through, and broken ourselves and others. Hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. Now, I'm not dismissing the pain and horrific suffering experienced by victims. You know, by no means. Do not get me wrong. I mean, we should, as a society, work to stop the psychological and emotional and physical and spiritual violence, you know, the wounding the wounding that people commit against one another. And I'm not encouraging, you know, any wounded person to become a doormat, as it were, that allows others to wipe their feet off on them in their betrayals or lies or deceit or continued physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, or even through murder and violence and cruelty. But when is enough going to be enough? When does the healing begin? And how then can we transform our anger into something better, like compassion? Well, for centuries and centuries, humanity has often built walls after walls in order to, you know, have protection from people from getting in. But how often do we build walls within ourselves to not only keep people out, but also to keep ourselves sealed off from the world? And just as we may have constructed you know, external and internal walls brick by brick, so too can our anger be transformed brick by brick, one by one. And therein lies the key to healing. Forgiveness is a process. Transformation is a process, brick by brick. 
Well, I really love to hear your heart on these matters. So again, if you would like to call in, the number is 888-627-6008. And I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. And I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. Be back with you in one minute. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity. I'm your host, Dr. James Houck. <clears throat> just want to share with you uh, just a quick word about next week's show. It's entitled, Weathering the Storms, the Courage of the Buffalo. Now, um, you know, my Native American friends shared this image with me a long time ago when I was visiting them in South Dakota. And uh, out there, you know, buffalo are just free to roam. And while I was uh, marveling at the impressive size and strength of the buffalo, uh, they corrected me by saying that the true strength of the buffalo doesn't lie in its size or its physical strength or its swiftness, but rather its true strength lies in its courage. You see, whereas most animals will turn tail and run away from fierce storms, the buffalo will put its head down and walk directly into the storm. It doesn't give up. It looks danger right in the eye and walks towards it. So I invite you to tune in to next week's show right here on bbsradio.com, Station 1, Friday, March 18th, 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, noon Pacific Standard Time for Weathering the Storms, The Courage of the Buffalo. Well, earlier in the show, I was talking about how we all possess within ourselves anger, a very, very strong emotion, okay? And since all of our emotions are energy, anger is not something that can be destroyed. You know, we're just going to say, well, we're going to get rid of it once and for all. It's like, we can't do that. But, But rather, because anger is energy, it can be transformed into more life-giving ways of building healthier relationships. And um, I'll just share with you again uh, the quote from Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, who also said that when we hate another person and we are angry at them, it's because we do not understand their circumstances that they come from. Yet by practicing deep looking, we realize that if we grew up 
um, you know, that uh, if we grew up in like them and their set of circumstances and in their environment, we would be just like them. And that kind of understanding removes, you know, your anger. And suddenly that person is no longer considered your enemy. And then you can love them. But as long as they remain an enemy, love is impossible. Well, way back in 1964, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the SNCC, in Selma, Alabama, was met with violence and intimidation by the then Sheriff Jim Clark, who waited at the entrance to the county courthouse, and he was beating and arresting people who wanted to register to vote at the slightest provocation. And at one point, uh, Clark arrested around 300 African-American students who were holding a silent protest outside the courthouse and then forced marched them with cattle prides to a detention center about three miles away. And uh, at another point, uh, he was punched in the jaw and knocked down by a demonstrator. Her name was uh, Annie Lee Cooper, whom he was trying to make go home by poking her in the neck and the chest with the cattle prod after she stood for hours at the courthouse in an attempt to simply register to vote. Well, sometime later in a debate with William F. Buckley at Cambridge University, I believe it was like 1965, 66, James Baldwin at the time, who was a writer, playwright, poet, and activist, he made this remark. He said, now, Sheriff Clark in Selma, Alabama, cannot be dismissed as a, a total monster. Oh, I'm sure he loves his wife and he loves his children and maybe he even likes to get drunk. And one has to assume that he is a man like me. But he doesn't know what drives him to use the club, to menace with the gun, and to use the cattle prod. Something awful must have happened to a human being to be able to put a cattle prod against a woman's breast. Because what happens to the woman is ghastly. What happens to the man who does it is in some ways much, much worse. Their moral lives have been destroyed by the plague called color. Now, those who were in attendance for the debate uh, listened to these words and were reminded that the offender and oppressor suffer from a greater tragedy of inner pain than the one who suffers outwardly. Again, hurt people hurt people. Wounded people wound people. And again, I'm not dismissing the pain and suffering experienced by uh, people who are uh, being victimized. You know, and certainly as a society, we need to work together to stop any kind of wounding, whether it be psychological, emotional, physical, or even spiritual, the, the wounds that people inflict on another person. But what James Baldwin was, was saying is for us to consider what must have happened in that person's life, their own pain, their own suffering, their own sorrow, that has seared their painful traumatic experience into their emotions 
that then they are able to commit such violence against others, not blink an eye, walk away, and maybe even sleep soundly that night. What is the depth of another's scarred soul that would allow them to do this? Because that's an even greater tragedy. And until their pain is healed, they will, more than likely, continue to wound others, consciously or even unconsciously. Then this scarring is not limited to those who commit physical violence. There are plenty of other people who use their psychological or emotional or physical, even spiritual wounds to perpetuate their need to control others or to intimidate others or to guilt trip others or to use economic abuse or coercion and threats or shifting blame or, or whatever the context is. And this is where the term emotional and psychological self-inflicted wounds come from. Think about it this way. We think that if we say something harmful or we, we do something harmful, that it will never come back on us. But it does. Every negative thought, everything negative we say, every negative thing we do comes back to us, often reinforcing the wounded parts of ourselves. And we have many ways to understand this concept. We may never have thought of it this way before, but how many times have you said, what goes around comes around, or what you sow, you will reap. And even karma is another way to understand you know, that no matter how you say it, humanity lives in an echo. That what goes out from us will return to us just like we hear the sound of our own voice echoing back in our ears when we're in a tunnel and we shout, Hello! Everything we think and say and do is energy. And unless we transform that energy through healing our own wounds, it will come back to us exactly how it went out from us. Everything we think, say, and do is energy, and unless we transform the energy through healing our wounds, everything will come back to us, exactly how it went out from us. And this is a phenomenon I, I run, in, run into time and time again, counseling clients who want to heal from their past and improve their relationships. That whatever a person is struggling with, you know, from other relationships more than likely is struggling with the same issue in themselves. You know, what negative energy is being sent out is going to echo back sooner or later. Yeah, here's a good example. A person who is uh, filled with bitterness from, let's say, a previous hurt or betrayal uh, will more than likely view everything and feel everything from a lens of bitterness. Or a person who has experienced tremendous hurt from broken trust in a relationship, unless this is healed and transformed, will view everything and everyone with suspicion. They will not be ready to trust. And this is very difficult for people to understand about the phenomena of emotional and psychological self-inflicted wounds. What goes out has first to have come from within. 
I mean, see how many of these that you identify with. Okay. Sometimes you might hear a person say, I'm never going to forgive that person. Well, that typically means I'll never be able to forgive myself. Or I can never trust another person because, which might mean I have difficulty trusting myself. Or I can't stand that when a person says or does this. Usually means I really can't stand myself when I say or do this. And I just can't love that person because typically means I also struggle with loving myself at times. I mean, how we are with others is often how we are with ourselves and vice versa. How we see others is often how we see ourselves. Unresolved or unhealed wounds distort how we view and interact with the world. And yet healing can occur on various levels, not just the physical, not just the emotional, but also the psychological and even the spiritual. Well, there was, um, let's see, uh, a very beloved song, let's put it that way, that was written almost two and a half centuries ago, back in 1772. And um, the words for this beloved song were actually born from the heart and mind and experiences of the Englishman John Newton. And knowing the story of John Newton's life as a slave trader and the journey he went through before writing this hymn will help to understand the depth of his words and his gratefulness for God's truly amazing grace. And uh, he definitely had a very colorful upbringing. He lived uh, through a rather unfortunate, troubled childhood. His his mother passed away when he was just six years old, and uh, Newton spent uh, many years fighting against authority and going so far as to trying to desert the Royal Navy in his 20s. Of course, he didn't get that far. And later, he was abandoned by his crew in West Africa, and he was forced to be a servant to a slave trader, but was eventually rescued. And on a return voyage to England, uh, a violent storm hit and almost sank the ship, and this prompted Newton to begin his spiritual conversion as he cried out to God to save them from the storm. Now, upon his return, however, Newton became a slave ship master, a profession which he served for several, several years. You know, he was, his job was to bring slaves from Africa to England over in multiple trips. And he admitted to sometimes treating the slaves abhorrently. And in 1754, you know, after becoming violently ill on a sea voyage, Newton just surrendered, and he abandoned his life as a slave trader, and he abandoned the slave trade. And he actually gave up seafaring altogether and wholeheartedly devoted his life to God's service. Later on, he was ordained as an Anglican priest in 1764, and he became quite popular as a preacher and hymn writer, and he penned some 280 hymns. And among them is the hymn, Amazing Grace. 
which first appeared in the Olney Hymns, printed by Newton and uh, poet or fellow writer William Cowper. And years later, it was Newton who fought alongside William Wilberforce, leader of the parliamentary campaign to abolish the African slave trade. And he described the horrors of the slave trade in a track he wrote supporting the campaign, and he lived to see the British for the British passage of the Slave Trade Act of 1807. And just imagine these lyrics that he penned from those experiences. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. And what about others, such as, uh, through many dangers and toils and snares, I've already come. Tis grace that has brought me safe this far, and grace will lead me home. Now, he was close to death at various times, and he was really blind to the reality of others. And um, I would imagine that Newton would not have written Amazing Grace if it wasn't for his tumultuous past. You know, and many of us would then be without, you know, these words that so aptly describe our relationship with, with God in our lives. You know, you know, twas grace grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Okay. Well, I don't know what caused the horrendous storm off the coast of Ireland that, that in which, you know, Newton cried out to God, um, but uh, the cargo miraculously shifted to fill a hole in the ship's hull, and the vessel eventually drifted to safety. And Newton writes that uh, he took this as a sign from, from God, and he marked this as the moment of his conversion to Christianity. And he didn't radically change his ways all at once. His, his total um, transformation, his reformation was more gradual. And uh, later he wrote in his, his journal, I cannot consider myself to have been a believer in the full sense of the word until a considerable time afterwards. Okay. Well, consider the words of amazing grace. It, you know, these are words, this is a hymn, the tune, and so forth, are very familiar, even to people who may not consider themselves to be religious. Uh, we all know the tune. And it was something very special to hear and to see that following the days and weeks after, um, you know, the September 11th attacks, that when crowds would gather and the military would be honored, and the firefighters would be honored, and um, at uh, various sporting events like like baseball, that um, you know, "Amazing Grace" was often heard, and it's it's a very comforting hymn. It's a hymn that you know gives us the reassurance that it doesn't matter you know where we begin in life; it matters where we end up. It doesn't matter the struggles. It matters where you're going. You know, like the buffalo puts its head down and walks straight into the storm. A lot of times we have to do that too. A lot of times that we have to keep going. A lot of times we have to rely on the grace of God. 
But regarding our anger, this is something that we certainly need to work through and heal from. There is a lot of pain and suffering in the world going on today. A lot of it's resulting from anger, greed, or some other emotion. We can't destroy those emotions. We can transform it through kindness and through through grace and through understanding. To um, learn from another person their life. To see where they have come from. To understand where they struggled in their life and so forth. And this is something that is uh, very precious indeed <clears throat> when people uh, share stories, like say after a funeral, you know, at the luncheon or wherever. And, um, you know, may be surprised that <clears throat> as these stories are shared, that you hear a lot of laughter, you see a lot of tears, you, um, you know, hear a lot of crying. And that's how people remember others through stories, through the things that they've did or how they struggled and so forth, and the ones who really modeled life-changing behavior for us. They, too, also struggled with their faith. They, too, just questioned, like, what in the world's going on here? They, too, uh, had difficulty making sense with very difficult times in the, the world in which they lived. But they never gave up hope. And for those who have really worked through their anger, we have tremendous transformational stories of how they were over, able to overcome and live their life from, from a place of deep, deep, deep compassion uh, in themselves, for themselves, and certainly for others. So if you have... Uh, Never thought about undertaking the task of dealing with your anger, I invite you to. Think of uh, your anger as that analogy I shared earlier about a wall. And just what is that wall constructed out of? Is it bricks? Okay. Well, then imagine how thick that wall is. Imagine how high that wall is. Imagine the different times in your life in which you added more bricks to the wall. Who are the ones that you are trying to keep out? What bricks were added in order to keep you safely protected? How much of those uh, bricks were put in place, so to speak, from your anger? And just as we have constructed external and internal walls, brick by brick, so too, that anger of ours can be transformed brick by brick, one by one. This is certainly the key to our healing. Forgiveness is a process, brick by brick. You've been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. I'm your host, Dr. James Hauck. I invite you to join me next week as we take a look at Weathering the Storms, the Courage of the Buffalo. And until that time, everybody be safe, behave yourselves, and may God hold us in the palm of God's hands. Take care. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, 
or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk. It's all there. Just wander on over to reclaimingauthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific time on PBS Radio TV.